Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journeys. I'm very pleased today to welcome... Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journeys. Welcome Harish Handy to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. Harish is an Indian social entrepreneur who co-founded Selco India in 1995 to eradicate poverty by promoting sustainable technologies in rural India. It's a social enterprise that provides sustainable energy service to the poor in India, providing sustainable energy solutions and services to underserved households and businesses. Selco empowers its customers by providing a complete package product, service, consumer financing through Gramina banks, cooperative societies, commercial banks and microfinance institutions. So thank you very much, Harish, for taking the time to speak to me today. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for for the call and for the time. Yes, I'm very much looking forward to talking to you. Uh, It's been uh, several decades now uh, in Selco and uh, find out uh, a little bit more about uh, your experience and how it's all developed and where you are today. Can you tell me a little bit about the background to setting the company up and what were the problems that you saw that you wanted to solve? I mean, the the issue that we started was basically looking at is there a way that sustainable energy could be a catalyst to to reduce poverty? Uh, could sustainable energy be a catalyst to improvise people's livelihoods and well-being? And then how do you create a structure which is socially, financially, environmentally sustainable and destroy the myths that poor cannot afford technologies, the poor cannot maintain technologies? And third part was you could not run a financially sustainable organization to meet social objectives. This was the whole concept on which we started many years ago, in ninety four, ninety five. So, what was what was the service you were going to offer people? I mean, we had to think about that at some point. What is it we're providing? How will they pay? How does this work? No, the question is that. But I was just uh, toying with. I mean, a couple of us were toying with the question: Was sustainable energy, uh, like solar uh, technologies, uh, could they have a direct intervention into well being and increase livelihoods for the poor? What what was the missing pieces um, that we could provide solar panels and batteries and front lights? That's where we started. And we said we would create a good after-sales service mechanisms for people. If something went wrong, we could service within 24 hours. And the, regarding the question of payment, we said it has to be financially viable. And, and for us, solar an asset, like for you and me when we buy a house, we need long-term financing. For a lot of the poor, solar is, a, is an asset that needed long-term financing that can be piggyback on the existing banking structure in India. I'm not talking of microfinance. I'm talking of banking, which means long-term finance. How do we convince the local banks? And that's what took us two to three years, four years to convince that solar is a viable option. People will pay 
it's something that they could increase their portfolio and and poor benefit from not only having the light on any other type of application but also becoming formal into the indian banking sector so for us yes uh, payment then also work on different types of payment methodologies like affordability today we confuse between affordability and low cost a 20000 rupee swing machine might be more affordable than a 10000 rupee swing machine because a 10000 rupee swing machine would give you less amount to actually survive and pay to the bank a 20000 rupee swing machine actually gives you enough to survive as well as pay pay your emi to the bank so i think those were the structures and also different type of financial products that we worked with the financial institutions like a street vendor would pay on a daily basis as she once said and which was my biggest financial lesson that month is expensive 10 rupees a day is fine how do you create financial products that matches her cash flow like for a paddy farmer how do you create come up with financial product that matches the yearly cash flow of the paddy farmer for a postman monthly cash flow for a doctor monthly cash flow for a laborer biweekly so it's a combination of technology finance market linkages and creating an after sales service what what we set up many years now i know when you set out harish at the beginning you had various ideas or indeed uh, rather myths that you wanted to disprove uh, by making selco a success we started many years ago basically to disprove the myths that poor cannot afford technologies poor cannot maintain technologies and one can't run a social venture while trying to meet financial objectives so the question is for us was we we said we would intervene in individual households and and small businesses by providing good technology and good after sales service but also how do we piggyback on the local financial institutions to finance the poor because for us the criticality was that solar was an asset for the poor and had to be financed over a longer periods of time and 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 but what was missing was financial product that matched the cash flow of the poor one of the best lessons that i have learned is from a street vendor who said um uh, 300 rupees a month is expensive 5 10 rupees a day is fine is basically how do you create financial products to match her cash flow how do you create financial products that matches the cash flow of a paddy farmer where he or she can pay on a month yearly basis a rural postman or a rural doctor or a teacher on a monthly basis and a daily wage laborer on like once in two weeks so it's a what makes it is that it's not about technology it's a combination of technology finance and market linkage and when we talk about affordability we also confuse affordability with low cost and as we say that a 20000 rupee swing machine might be more economically viable than a 10000 rupee swing machine because a 20000 rupee swing machine gives you more product in terms of income that somebody can take home as well as pay to the bank while a 10000 rupee swing machine would not so i that's the pieces of the puzzle that selco puts across and that's what we've been trying to build what where what is the income side of things for somebody who uh for you know a farmer or someone who buys your equipment see we reach out to mostly people who earn between a dollar to 3 dollars a day and uh, the lighting purely a lot of people do for a future like the children get educated and have a better life in the future people who have bought other livelihood products like sewing machine um water pumps or blacksmith blower 
many a time we see there's a drastic 25 to 40 percent increase in their incomes in some cases double because of this intervention that they they would have done so overall yes it's a it leads to between 25 to 40 percent rise in incomes in in the other cases is most about the next generation having a better quality of life than them being able to provide products as you say to the poorest people uh, and, and, and enabling them to finance that a key challenge at the heart of what you were doing and and presumably there wasn't uh, much precedent for that kind of thing at the time did people say to you well listen they're poor how can they possibly buy things two things yes one is many of the financial institutions would say that so we would place guarantees against the poor and say that if the poor didn't pay we would pay it but many a time 99 percent of the time they would pay but second challenge for me was that many of the livelihood applications for the poor were not developed fully because today what happens is many a time the need assessment or a technology development happens for the middle class and above middle class and it's tailor made for the poor to use it rather than looking at what do the poor need can i tailor make the solution according to what they're using for example nobody works on a blacksmith blower nobody works on a sewing machine high efficient today when i design solar for a sewing machine people blame solar to be expensive not the sewing machine to be inefficiently designed there's a lack of products in in that is catering to the poor category because it's not a sexy enough app it's not something under the purview of any of the technical institutes around the world so that is one of our biggest barrier is rather than moving technology from the middle class and above middle class and shoving down the throats of the poor are we able to create a good database of needs and develop technologies that the poor need today and those technologies then move up the economic change for the rest of the world to use it right is this linked into this idea of frugal innovation or the idea of reverse innovation yeah i mean innovation should happen at that level itself i mean and i would not go into the part of frugal because because what happens happens is when when people use jugard or frugal or any part it assumes that the poor need low cost my question is no it's like let's get the best product even a beggar if if somebody had designed a high quality sewing machine cost 600 dollars i would actually go to the beggar and say that missing link is not technology or affordability for the beggar is that the challenge for the beggar is who is going to buy those four shirts that he pro- or she produces. That's the missing piece. Once you put that in piece, I really don't care what the beggar is earning today, but I'm going to create a financial product on the future of the earnings of that sewing machine which runs on solar power. Right, right. Now, what's the scale of your activity today? We have around 60 officers and and more than uh, uh, 750,000 uh, individual houses that we have powered. I mean, you've been at this for, what, nearly 30 years? How, how has the growth... Yeah, how has that growth been? 
uh, over that period? Uh, you know, very slow at the beginning, presumably. Um, can you give me some sense of how that's been over different decades? No, it's been, it was very slow in the beginning. It was slow in the middle. Uh, but in the last five, eight years, I think it's been a growth of 18 to 20% on a yearly basis. That's also because a lot of my colleagues are from the grassroots level, have have taken up important positions in the organization, decentralized decision making, and uh, in the last eight yeah eight years it's been it's been actually pretty good. Even whole challenging that uh, for us is like we don't talk in terms of off grid areas and on grid areas because for us that itself is a is a is is, is a wrong uh, bifurcation. Because if in a if there are hundred houses in a village and all houses have electricity, and the lady dies in the hospital nearby during maternal birth because the hospital did not have electricity, so was she off grid or was she on grid? So I think we need to look at holistically of requirements of energy for the poor, and that's what we've been focusing on the last eight years more about where is power required for increased incomes or better quality of life. And do the poor have energy when they actually require it? Do they have the service, better health service or livelihoods or education? And is energy an enabler? So these two ideas are, 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 are kind of embedded, really, aren't they, together? One idea is providing energy at a, at a basic level. You know, what is, this, what is the scale of that problem? How many uh, people in this, you know, the poorer group you're talking about, 2 to $3 a day, how many of those have energy? Uh, access to energy and 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 you know you can talk a little bit about that and then a, a secondary question which is you know what can we do to help uh, economically the poorest people in in India and help them become economically better off stronger more sustainable yeah see the, see the question today I would say is that when many of the think tanks come up with that answer my question is when I'm going to the nap, see if I break the poor into three categories, right? Poor, very poor, and abject poverty. And when people calculate the lack of energy for very poor and abject poverty is only in terms of two light bulbs. My question is having two light bulbs for people who are very poor and abject poverty makes absolutely no sense because it's not going to help them get out of poverty. And those two light bulbs make no sense. And if people say that, oh, the children could get educated, I would say bull, because if that was the case, then every urban kid should have been smart. Just providing lights does not make suddenly a child start studying. It's a school, it's the books, it's the teachers, it's a whole ecosystem. And that's absent for the very poor and abject poverty. The energy requirement for the very poor and abject poverty is much more than what you and me require in terms of percentage. It's running income generating activities like ice mill, uh, lathe machines, uh, power hammers, blacksmith blowers. So, so because that will directly lead to increased of incomes. And unfortunately, when we look at very poor and abject poverty, the calculation that they don't have energy and they don't have X amount of energy and that X is only calculated on the behalf of two lights or three lights running for four hours. We are basically saying that that's not a correct way of looking at energy poverty, and 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 how do we redefine those? Is what we are pushing back on. 
Right, and using that, that's a very, very interesting distinction you make there, Harish. And using that uh, criteria, what, what insights do you get as to the scale of the challenge? See, I would say more than the scale, the scale is there, yes. But that was also super, super hope. Because for me, if you look at the 4 billion people around the world who don't have energy and are lacking energy access for their next leap forward, forward in in life or in 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 terms of economic prosperity at least three to three and a half billion people and that is a huge opportunity because once we start looking at you will have a completely new set of business models new set of technology innovations new types of financial products new types of way of delivering services combined to that it's all related to sustainable energy and poverty reduction that means the added benefit fit is you have solutions to climate and what the three three and a half billion people can do the best is create this model and teach the rest two billion people today how to lead the future sustainable life for me there are multiple of winning points of of looking at it at a very different way of saying that it's a huge huge uh, opportunity for new innovations new business models democratization of delivery of health, education, and livelihoods, empowers people at different level, because you and me might come from a democratic country, but our services are not democratic. It's monopolized. And the best is sustainable energy actually disrupts that and and forces democratization at very different levels. Now, you, yes, yeah, very interesting. Now, there's a, a number of interrelated ideas there. I would be interested in talking to you about in more detail. Firstly, just to, to, you, you mentioned innovation and new business models. Now, clearly, the constraints which you're working in were, you know, uh, very small sums of money, you know, uh, s- selling products to poor people. What's your experience been in terms of their ability to, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's a tricky territory, the idea of, uh, you know, you hear about it in microfinance, high rates of interest, you hear about it with, you know, farmers having to buy seeds and things. The whole question about, you know, selling products that may be beyond the financial resources of, of poorer people. What's your experience been in structuring uh, transactions, structuring the, the, the sales for them, their ability to, to pay? And have, have you seen a, a good experience there? I mean, what, what, what's the track record in terms of people who weren't able to pay or got themselves in financial trouble as a result of this? See, what we look at is, um, see, finance is just one part of the equation. And if finance has to succeed or people's ability to pay has to succeed, there has to be a kind of an um, ecosystem that needs to exist. And unfortunately, many parts of this, like, like giving you a friend, it's like the biggest subsidy Google has got is the internet. And Google would not have succeeded if internet did not exist. Google does not pay for the creation or the, or the growth of internet itself. But it, it is, that means it's hugely subsidized by you, me, USL, military, everybody else, right? So the question is, who creates that ecosystem for people to actually, for example, if I provided a solar-powered sewing machine to the poor who, instead of doing four shirts, does, does eight shirts a day, if she does not have the market to sell the extra four shirts, she goes on a technology direct. Who creates that ecosystem to make sure that extra four shirts are sold? If that is done, she would definitely pay to the bank. And what 
we are saying that people don't pay for a certain reason. And if, if you look at 10%, out of that 8% of the people who don't pay are primarily because of a crop failure or a sickness of a child or health issues in the family. And 2% people are like any other human beings are crooks one way or the other. The people affordability of people to pay depends on the ecosystem. My question, if people can't pay, that means the type of product, especially the financial product is not right. So we don't look at the poor they couldn't afford. That means you had the wrong product. Are you able to create an appropriate, like, like the microfinance, the issue of microfinance was, the problem was, they went into the notion that finance would solve people's view, people's position. But that's and and a unilateral way. Oh, I give provide poor the money, party will go off. Without money is just an enabler, and more so, Microsoft finance is a glorified working capital for an existing entrepreneur. You and me will not take money to build assets on microfinance. Like it's like equivalent to buying a house on a credit card. For the poor, the first type of financing that needs to happen is not microfinance, but long-term asset-based finance. If you look at the success of Europe, US, and other parts of the so-called developed world, is where you get long-term finance at lower interest to build your assets. Exactly the type of money that they need. And that's what we used. Unfortunately, we are known for to be a solar company. For us, is solar is a catalyst that helps the poor own assets. So they go much above the poverty line that any shock in their personal life or because of an earthquake or something else, they would not go back to poverty level. So for us, that's the game that we play in terms of, uh, of, of finance and in a way that people should be able to pay. And if they're not able to pay, that means there's some sort of a missing ecosystem that's not in place. And then we go and fix that part. That, that, that's interesting. Now, how far do you go, Harish? You know, as you say, if, if you're uh, solar power to, you're talking about the product, solar power to run a sewing machine. And the, 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 the viability of that ultimately will depend, in a sense, on the entrepreneurial skills to some degree of, of, of the, right. the, the recipient, to somebody who's, who's got the sewing machine. How, how, how much you know, analysis can you do? Somebody comes along and says they want a sewing machine. On the face of it, they may, you know, they, they may be very good at sewing and, and making these shirts and, and so forth. But then you need to, as you say, understand, you know, what's the local ecosystem? Who buys them? What are the margins? Are there other competitors? How no, is see, that the thing changing? Is that we actually so partner forth. with a lot of institutes, for example. And, 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 and what we partner is um, the, the way the exact what was the institution that actually led to the development of the United States and Europe was the, the basic foundation of vocational schools. We actually rely on a lot of vocational schools which actually uh, have multiple courses on skill development and entrepreneurship and et cetera, et cetera, where we piggyback and institutionalize the process of products that can run on sustainable energy. And many of these are also linked to local financial institutions. So we have basically partnered with the stakeholders of the ecosystem we will not do everything ourselves we are a our focus is good technology leads maintenance 
and partnerships. And that's what we actually do. So we work with a lot of vocational schools who do swing machines, blacksmiths, blower, butter churners. And they are the people who have actually and help them re-modify their coursework, re-modify their business training for such individuals. And, and they are the people who are the channels for us in many ways to for the new set of products. So. What you're saying is that there's tremendous potential in this sector of the market and this, you know, the, the, the people who've got this two to three dollars a day the, the, for, for for innovation, for new business models, for, right. for for change. What's the evidence to support that, Harish? See, so what the evidence is, for example, um, a simple thing from a technology side, right? I'll just from from a technology perspective. Um, Let's look at a um, dental chair. Okay, a dental chair has 26 features. Because it has 26 features, you force it to be in a hospital. It guzzles so much of electricity. You force the poor to actually travel two days. And even if you gave dental services free, it's actually not free for the poor. So you have monopolized the services in many ways, and 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 it's become expensive for the poor. What we are saying is that if you had given me a dental chair, which was DC powered with four features and foldable, I would have created a dental service at the doorstep of the poor instead of them paying 250 rupees for the bus charge and coming and wasting two days. At 50 rupees, I could have delivered. Don't need to give to the free to the poor. At the doorstep, you have democratized the delivery of health. Same way, a projector. A school projector, uh, uh, sorry, a typical projector, overhead projector, consumes 140 watts. We worked with an organization to push it down to 20 watts, worked with a content uh, NGO, which works at content, high-quality 8th, 9th, and 10th grade syllabus into it and went to schools and said, this is a projector that I don't need your blackboard. I need your white wall. I leapfrog technology from Blackboard to a projector. I give you high quality 8th, 9th, 10th grade. You will have eight hours of uninterrupted education. Don't worry about it. That's not the main point. It's, it runs on solar, but that's not the focus. Suddenly, 2,000 schools got it. The question is the school. Yeah, sorry. No, so that, that force that actually leapfrog technology multiple levels, right? The, this idea is, is, is around, isn't it? I mean, frugal innovation. The problem with the frugal innovation is that you've, we've created a bar price of $50 for a cook store, right? My question is, and exactly why frugal innovation cook stores have not taken off because of the frugal innovation part, rather than like focusing on how do I innovate a new type of cooking methodology, forget cook stores, a cooking methodology that uses a existing type of a fuel supply chain, okay? And I, I don't care whether it's $250 or $300, give it to me. I, don't worry about the low cost about it. The question is, a Mercedes car or a Tesla might be super expensive for me, but somebody gave me a 30-year finance and I have to pay 100 rupees or $2 a month, suddenly it becomes affordable. It's a combination of technology, design, and finance. Same thing. For example, give me a $200 cook store and I will go and implement in people who earn less than a dollar a day. 
because if if provided financing is where my key is secondly you know there are um there are these dholak wallas these guys who make drums in 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 the slums of bangalore and, and they said if you gave us solar lights i would do extra number of drums and i could pay to the bank they said it's not a question of uh, of of uh, affordability or tech but can you design it in a way that we can run with it because we only given 45 minutes by the police to run same another lady in another part of india said as i see the flood waters come in can you design it in a way i run with it see a com- the product is not technology it's a combination of technology finance design and market linkage together so what happens in many of the frugal innovation it's engineering no it's how do you how do you have multidisciplinary teams working together to come up with a design or a product that is then implemented right that's the situation too much focus on technology yes right so what about how does this compa- you know the idea of the bottom of the pyramid i think ck pralahad wrote about this some time ago how does this differ from the ideas there ck pralahad was i mean i mean god bless his soul i had a i had a I still remember the super argument with him. Uh, he wrote a book that actually killed the poor in many ways, um, because the fact was the book was written where you you have traditionally assumed the poor to be consumers, right? That there's a basic fallacy there. And where does consumption come in? Is there are people have two types of incomes: expendable income and non-expendable income. moment you use non expendable incomes for consumption you actually make the poor poorer that's exactly the case of selling a 1 rupee shampoo to the very poor on a marketing methodology of 1 rupee sachets where the poor take out the non expendable income that should have gone into creation of an asset led to them becoming more poor because that 1 rupee would not lead to more creation of assets the only way to get people out of poverty so it was more about how do we use the fortune at the bottom of the pyramid rather than fortune for the bottom of the pyramid by the bottom of the pyramid so my criticism of the book is it created that how do we take the money out not about creating interventions where the people start making more money and that is where i have a basic problem with that book and how well established are these ideas now as you say you have uh, you're you're perceived as a solar energy company and yet what you're talking about is multidimensional and you're talking about really uh the roots of poverty and coming out of poverty uh, as well as the green uh, and energy side of things so so we yeah i mean over the last 10 years if you look at the case studies and we we are mostly in the we 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 not called to solar conferences actually uh we we are known in the other side other sectors much more in a deeper fashion than in the solar field itself i'm interested to where where do you go next i think see i mean india i would say is in a, is, is in a position of great advantage of being the r&d of the world in terms of uh, for the poor especially for if it, it could actually champion many of see many of the states and many of the poverty in different states actually mirror the poverty of different parts of the world so you have you can actually in india find a lot of the problems that happen in africa that happen in southeast asia indonesia and so thus india is has that whole database of problems 
the question is use that as an opportunity to be the R&D of solutions. For example, what you see in the northeast of India, many of the technology, finance and market linkage solutions using solar energy for, for as, as, as a tool that could then be replicated either in the Philippines or Togo with similar challenges in, and geographies and culture, uh, not culture, but in terms of needs. So India is in that unique position of, of pushing decentralized energy that leads to democratization of these essential services. And for that, it could be the great platform of coming up with high efficient infant formers, autoclaves, projectors, to other livelihood applications like blacksmiths, blowers, or silk weaving. So that is where I see India as because, yes, people say coal, 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 but I am really not worried from an, in, from an Indian perspective because of the push, because of the in many cases, a decentralized option is now looking more and more attractive financially, even for the middle class and above middle class, without subsidies, because moment you're raising your taxes on coal and on import and the cost of transportation as in, in, is increasing, the existing electricity rates in many parts where solar is going to compete in the next one or two years. And if storage technology develops further, it becomes an absolute no-brainer. So I am not worried about that coal part. What I'm, I'm worried about is that are we creating this multi-dimensional thinking processes in our educational system to... Right, right. Now, do you know the work of Kickstart International? Yes, I know, yes. Yes. So in, in, in some ways, there seems to be parallels between what... Martin Fisher, where that organization is about. Yes, but uh, yes, absolutely. Kickstarter is one, one, absolutely, and, and powerful. Here, we what we are trying to do uh, is that um, today, when we look at the, the, the so-called bottom of the pyramid, whatever defined, are we creating platforms for them to be innovators and entrepreneurs and, and thought leaders, right? Today, you and me can actually, who gets? the money the powerpoint excellent word unp can present it give a grant money mike our push is that are we creating these platforms in india where the poor become innovators the poor become entrepreneurs and poor become the next set of thought leaders why should we lose out on the einsteins and the others that are from the 600 million that we have to provide solutions to them this patronization of of the poor is what exactly what we are fighting against. We are saying that we are not patronizing. We are, we are, the poor are partners, not beneficiaries. We are coming up as partners of solutions together where we have a certain set of expertise. They have a certain set of expertise. How do we come up together in a solution that then could be replicated to other parts of the world? But are we creating that platform of justice, of equality and inclusivity? I mean, entrepreneurship is defined as a risky activity, you know, and is there not a question about the levels of economic self-sufficiency or resources that are required before people can take those kinds of risks? No, I, I would disagree a bit, because if you look at uh, the same year that we started is the same year that Lehman Brothers started. OK, um, Lehman Brothers does not exist with all the qualifications of MBAs, right? Many of the software companies don't exist. Right. But how many street vendors that you have, have you heard of going out of business? 
average street vendor in Bangalore takes money at 8% on a daily basis. That's what I'm pushing for is democratization. One street vendor falls, it does not push the other street vendors to actually go to brink. That, that means there is a sense of un- at 8% interest rates, they still survive. The question is, it's a non-inclusivity of other ecosystems that have led not, not to them to grow. And that is what I, I believe that because everything is towards the upper class and upper world in, in the world. And that's what we are fighting against, saying that are we creating an equal platform? And that exists. It is it is it is exists in all populations, and it's not about education. Yes, entrepreneurship is a unique thing, and that is there in the six hundred million. Where do we find out who are the entrepreneurs? Today, what happens is are we using those six hundred million people all as cheap labors for us to be subsidized or are we assuming like any other parts of the society out of the 600 million 100 million are entrepreneurs 20 million are innovators but are we creating that platform from them to grow at the heart of this there is this question of the provision of long-term finance at affordable rates now we talked about a little bit about microfinance. What's happening? What are you optimistic that there is organisations that that there are things happening here that will be scalable? Um, I mean, certainly with some of these technologies now and connecting to mobile phones and seen seen lots of new payment platforms. Um, what's your sense of the possibilities here, Harish? No, I am. Uh... I'm not optimistic because, again, these are tools. Are There are tools. They are not the solution. They're just tools to enable a solution. But a solution will only happen where, for example, you and me can walk into a bank and you and me want to start a factory and I need 10-year finance, you need 10-year finance, you, you, both, you and me will get it. The question is, in poor Africa, and why do we, why you and me will get it? Because in our countries, the cost of creating that long-term capital was subsidized by tax dollars many, many years ago. Country and parts of India, lot of subsidization of the ecosystem happened for long-term finance to actually exist and flourish. And 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 you have five to eight-year finance at lower interest rates. Today, what has happened is we are leapfrogging in a negative manner and, and bringing in money Microfinance. Microfinance is a if you if you look at uh, any developer for an entrepreneur who has a cash constraint for a limited periods of time, and I think we we are confusing between asset financing and microfinance. Until the poorer countries create long term finance, the poorer countries will not get out of poverty, and for that, unfortunately, microfinance has come in and has killed it. So payment methodologies in terms of prepaid or mobile phone is just a tool but but somebody needs to risk it i mean that's exactly what happened in india when india was starving in the mid 60s and late early 70s when mrs gandhi actually nationalized the banks and said 40% of your portfolio has to be for rural financing that led to the creation of rural financing network that we have 40000 banks in rural india might be inefficient but exist that a farmer can get a loan for five years, a group of farmers can actually get a 10-year loan for a pipe to be done from the local river to their farms. That type of financing is completely absent in Africa. 
and we've gone into microfinance. And moment a country starts on small-term finance without infrastructure finance for the poor, it's not going to get out of poverty. And that is the role of multilateral institutions like the World Bank and the IFC. Have you had, you've had experience, you said in the beginning, it took several years to, to, to talk to financiers to get some support for the financing packages you were putting together for your project. You presumably still have relationships, ongoing relationships with financial institutions. How do they react to the, your, your ideas And I think here? that's, they are using as an escape route of not doing it, but somebody needs to build a cat. It's no longer a buzzword, the bank, bankers know. But in the newer areas, for example, the Northeast, we would actually take the bankers from the areas that we have worked with last 15, 18 years, bring those bankers to these newer areas. The bankers talk among themselves. We have workshops where the bankers talk to other bankers, catch hold of individual champion bankers, create a pilot. If they're still not able to take the risk, where sometimes we raise philanthropic dollars not to reduce the capital subsidy of the product, but to place it as a guarantee in the bank against which the banker lends it. And as the payment increases, as the poor increase the credit risk, we remove the guarantees and then the bank takes off. So so there are various methods of reducing the risk. But what we are doing ultimately is, are we scaling up the process of guarantee? So we go to a larger Apex bank and say, can you actually create a large guarantee mechanism that we have already shown to you? So we scale up the process, not the organization itself. Right, right. So what what would you say to somebody what, to present the idea to the World Bank and the IFC? So what what is the evidence that you have over your work that you would po- point to to say, listen, this makes financial sense. It's, it doesn't just make sense from an economic development, from an economic empowerment sense, but it's good business, financial for you. Yeah, so I would actually, I mean, if the... I, this is exactly what we do in IFC India or the World Bank and say, I take them to the areas where the banks have financed uh, solar systems for not less than five years uh, at, at 11% interest rates. And for in, in many cases also finance solar along with the house at 8% interest rates that has actually led to mushrooming of more number of, uh, of banks actually taking it forward. But banks relying on the existing experience of financing water pipes or fertilizer or the longer term for the farmers that's what i take ifc and the world bank saying that you tell me any part of the world for real success of economic activity you need long-term financing and and i not only show cases of solar solar led livelihoods solar led institutions that actually work on solar power the 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 business plans that that people actually for and, and are paying to the banks and now after 20 years, we have more than 20 years of data about repayment mechanisms with these 400, 500 banks that we work with, branches, bank branches. And the figures show what? What percentage of overall loan? It's, it's, it's like any, it's around 12%, 8 to 12%. Um, and depending on the type of um, weather, monsoons for that year, uh, it would be, um, and normally what we have did a study two years ago, seven to eight percent is practically because of child sickness or a crop failure, and a restructuring of a loan within six to eight weeks actually leads to a better uh, loan prepayment in the future. 
but now we see in central part of india it's every alternate year we have a huge drought and that's why the the NPA, the non-performing asset, gaps to 18 on 17 to 18 percent, but again, it's 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 related to crop failure and sickness in the family. But anywhere between average is eight to 10 percent. Now, what's next for you, Harish? Three or four of us are basically focusing on how do we push the concept of ecosystem uh, in terms of who are the stakeholders of different ecosystem that are valid. Are we able to create five different centers of ecosystem in India? Uh, create a template. and and we have chosen two other countries outside that is Tanzania and Philippines end of 3 or 4 years are we able to create four or five templates that then could then be replicated of what does an ecosystem who are the stakeholders how do you replicate the process of the stakeholders themselves like how do i replicate the guarantee mechanism in a bank using philanthropic dollars rather than cross subsidizing the cost of the good which is a one time Uh, deliverable versus a long-term uh, way of looking at scaling up the process rather than an institution, rather than a company itself. That's what we are focusing on for our five. Well, I wish you the very best of success. That's been a very thought-provoking uh, interview, uh, lots of interesting material, and uh, thank you for taking the time to share that with us today and all the great work you've done. Thanks, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for coming. Thanks, Vega. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneur podcast. I hope you found this interview inspiring. Please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.